Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 174. Today is February 20th, 2016. I'm your host, John Pagliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. In today's episode, I want to give you a brief market analysis. From a technical standpoint, the market is in an uptrend. And although it has performed well this week, there are some possible pitfalls I'd like to talk to you about in today's episode. We're going to do that briefly. I don't think we want to spend a whole lot of time on it because we really don't have any new information. Everything that's primarily come out in the press is old news. We're seeing a, de- a continued decline in China, other than the fact that consumer spending there is increasing. But exports are still stagnant to tanking around the world. Yes, the U.S. job numbers are holding up. But you have to remember when it comes to jobs and employment numbers, those are always lagging economic indicators, not leading indicators. The other thing about the jobs number is that that's been so skewed and massaged over the past decade or more that, as I've always mentioned, we really don't want to look at economic indicators. We want to look at market indicators. An example of a market indicator is something that's traded in a large and free market where true price discovery can prevail. So you want to look actually at a major index like the NASDAQ or the S&P or the price of gold or oil or things of that nature. I did do an episode a ways back on economic indicators versus market indicators. If you haven't listened to that, check that out. And I haven't mentioned it in quite a while. So if you are new to the Wellsteading podcast, do check out the first 10 episodes. That's where I lay out my philosophy and my foundation. I call them the 10 Wealth Building Principles. They're not something I read in a book or learned at school. These are the things that I developed for myself over the past 30 years as I built my wealth. So if you wonder where I'm coming from or where my foundation rests, go back and listen to those first 10 episodes. The other thing that I want to cover in today's show is just to mention what's going on with Apple and the FBI. We'll get to that in a minute or two. As far as the stock market... All the indexes have performed well, and really they've had good performance going back to, I think, last Thursday or at least by last Friday. Whenever you see the market close up and doing strongly ahead of a long weekend like we had with President's Day, that's a good sign. This has also been a broad performance where we're seeing everything holding up well. So it's the NASDAQ, the S&P, the small cap stocks, and the Russell 2000. They all seem to be doing well, and we like it when a tide comes in and raises all boats. Now, I'm going to direct my comments to the S&P 500, but generally what I'm saying would apply for the other major indexes. When you looked at the market performance this week, on Friday, the S&P did close down from its weekly high, so that ended on a little bit of a sour note, and that's not a good sign. But again, overall, for the four days that the market was open, it gapped up most of those days. On three of those four days, the market closed higher than what it opened. That's a very good sign and a definite change in personality from what we've seen for the first six weeks or so of this year. The market also had strong performance on Friday, and it also that day closed up higher than it opened. If we do look back to last Friday, we see the S&P 500 for the first time was able to close above its five-day moving average. That's the first time it had done that in probably something like two weeks. On Tuesday of this week, after President's Day, when the market opened, it closed that day above its 10-day moving average. Again, that's good performance, something we hadn't seen for probably a couple weeks. 
Anytime the market or a stock can break out above something like an established moving average, a 5-day, a 10-day, a 50-day moving average, that's always good because generally those common moving averages act as levels of resistance when the market's going up. And then the corollary to that is when the market's coming down, they act as levels of support. That's why moving averages are so important. As I mentioned on Friday, we did see the market close down from its weekly high but still up significantly from where it started the week. Wednesday was the highest day. I think it got up to a high of right around 1930, and then it ended up closing Friday afternoon just a little bit below 1918. The good news on Friday's performance is intraday or earlier in the day, it did drop down from its open, but it did find support at its five-day moving average. It did bounce up off of that and closed higher than that five-day moving average. So again, that's good support. It's showing a disciplined behavior when it comes to these well-established moving averages. And you have to go back probably all the way to January 29th since we've last seen the S&P 500 get support at its, at its five-day moving average and bounce up and close off of that. So these are all encouraging signs. Okay, so if that's all good news, then what is the bad news? And at this point, it's just minor. But the bad news is that although Investors Business Daily has changed the market status to market in confirmed uptrend, what's lacking is the S&P 500's ability to break out up above the midpoint high of the double bottom base that was put in place back on February 1st. And if you look at a chart, this looks like a W on the chart. This is the, the middle apex on a W. If you look at a chart that's taken place since uh, this W pattern formed right around January 5th, maybe January, January 8th, you can see the market had the top of the W then. It went down and formed a low around January 20th, came up to form that middle apex of the W, and that would be the midpoint high on February 1st. Then we saw the low put in February 11th. That was a double bottom. And now, this past week, we've seen the right-hand side of that, that W being formed. Well, here's the problem. With a pattern like that, and that generally is a very strong pattern, and what you're looking for there is you're looking for the price and a lot of volume to break out above that high midpoint. And in this case, that, that high that was reached intraday on February 1st got up to 1947. And it ended up closing that day at 1939. Well, the highest we got up this week was on Wednesday, and that was only 1930. And then we ended up closing out the week on Friday at the high of that day's range, but it was less than 1919. Now, my opinion on all this is that if we were entering into a really strong recovery, then we would have closed out this week, if not getting above that high from February 1st, at least getting very close to it. But we didn't do that. So I think that was a sign of weakness. And then also the symmetry with this week's performance was weaker than it was on the way down. So on the way down, starting, you know, in, in uh, early January, when the market was building this left-hand side of the, of the W on the chart pattern, when it was coming down, the market came down fast and hard and had really long bar charts on the intraday movement. So what you generally like to see is consistency in geometry and a mirror image type symmetry. So you like to see the market go up in a very similar fashion to the way it came down. Now the movements have been upwardly strong, but just not to the same magnitude as when the market came down, nor if we look back to when the market recovered from its double bottom base back in late September, early October, we're not seeing that same strong symmetry that we saw on the right side of that W.
So it is good news that the market's staying above its five-day moving average. It is good that it's tending to close the day higher than it opens, but I'd like to see some more strength and magnitude. In any case, we didn't close out the week as strongly as we could have. We didn't breach that midpoint high from February 1st. And then finally, the closing price on Friday is still a pretty good ways off from the 50-day moving average. The market still needs to go up close to 2% from here just to get to that 50-day moving average. And I believe if the market can get up that high, that's going to be a very strong resistance level. That 50-day moving average has been declining, and it's currently degraded down to about 1954. You've been hearing me say for months now that I think the midpoint of this market is 1950. So the 50-day moving average is forming a confluence at that point. That will form a strong wall of resistance, and the market will have to have some good momentum to break through that. Unless there's some really good news that comes out next week, I don't see that happening. And so my market bias right now is that we're going to see things at least stagnate here, if not going lower. And my prejudice is that we will see lows lower than what we saw on February 11th. If that happens, that means that the markets will have again broken through that 1850 level that I've talked about being the, the line in the sand, the line of delineation between a healthy market correction and a possible bear market. So the next step there, the next big level of support is going to come in right around 1795 on the S&P 500. That's the convergence of a very long trend line, something in the neighborhood of a four-year moving average, and a support level that we saw hold from the fourth quarter of 2013 through the first quarter of 2014. So it's a support level that was established about two years ago. We want to watch that level closely. Now, I suspect if it hits that, it's likely that we'd see the S&P bounce up from that and recover because this would be the first time that the market's touched that level in two years. But on the other hand, if it does break below that level, that would probably be the best argument that the market's going lower, that we are in a confirmed bear market. It would be likely that panic would set into the market. You'd see it drop probably another 100 points and not hit a support level until somewhere below 1700 so maybe something like 1690 1685 so that's what you want to watch for if you hear that the market has gotten down below 1800 on the S&P 500 it could get very ugly very quickly and you could see this market deteriorate down below 1700 now I want to make it very plain here what I'm saying here is not chicken little crazy talk or any kind of economic meltdown Armageddon predictions. What I'm saying is very much in the realm of possibility. And the reason it may sound like crazy talk to some people is because we just haven't seen a good market pullback in quite some time. If the market were to drop down to 1700 on the S&P 500, it would still be trading at a price per earnings valuation of above 16 times probably something like 1620 on trailing 12-month earnings. That's not bargain basement pricing. In fact, that's pretty darn close to historical averages. That would also only put this market at 20% below its all-time high that we saw back around July of 2015. So that would really be the textbook classic definition of a bear market. So for anybody thinks that it's crazy talk to think that we could hit 1700 on the S&P 500 over the next maybe couple weeks or couple months, you really need to think again. 
from a historical perspective that would not be out of the ordinary, and from a valuation perspective, it would also be very justified. So that's my analysis on current market conditions. You can draw your own conclusions. Now let's talk a little bit about Apple and what's going on with them and the FBI. This week, Tim Cook, who's Apple's CEO, he refused to comply with a federal judge's court order to provide reasonable technical assistance to the FBI in unlocking the iPhone that was associated with the San Bernardino terrorist shootings that occurred back in October. I'm not going to make a value judgment one way or the other on this. I can understand the proprietary nature of why Apple wouldn't want to release that. And then on the other hand, from a criminal investigation point and Homeland Security side of things, I can see the FBI's point. I can also see a path to compromise because it's my understanding that what the government is saying is not that they simply want Apple to provide reasonable technical assistance, but that they want Apple to actually hand over the code or the software which would unlock the iPhone. And I think what would be a better solution would be for the FBI to allow Apple on their own terms to manipulate that iPhone, not requiring Apple to actually release the software to the government, but just allowing Apple to unlock the iPhone, thus protecting their proprietary software, and then handing the phone back over to the FBI. Now, the rationale or the argument against that, you know, the government would maintain that if that happened, they would lose the chain of custody of the phone and the evidence could be compromised and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Well, I'm a real cynic on that side of the government's argument. Frankly, I think Apple has a pretty darn good record of integrity. And when it comes to who I trust more and who I fear less, I would personally side with Apple before I'd side with the FBI. But I do want to make it perfectly clear. I'm not an FBI hater. After all, I did name my youngest daughter after Special Agent Scully, so don't question my patriotism. Uh, but again, I digress. What I really wanted to focus on was not the value judgment side of it, but the performance of Apple stock and, and really from a bigger picture, what type of impact these policy decisions from the government can have not only on individual companies, but also generally on the stock market. Apple was obviously a very large and an important company, and any deleterious effect to its stock price would impact all the major indexes. It just has that large of a market capitalization. There's also the spillover effect from that. Depending on what heavy-handed tactics the government uses to force Apple to comply, that could send a chill throughout the tech sector. That could really hurt the NASDAQ. Today I just posted an article over at investablewealth.com where I put up a chart that juxtaposes Apple's current price action alongside the Volkswagen chart from last year and it shows that major decline that occurred with Volkswagen stock when the news of the emission scandal broke out. Volkswagen stock dropped like a rock. Now, we don't know if that's going to happen with Apple stock, and of course it's going to depend over these coming days if they're able to resolve their dispute with the government. But if they don't, I think short-term anyways, Apple stock could take a hit. I just throw that out there as something for you to think about and consider. I'll close out today's podcast by doing things a little bit differently. You know, normally I say that I never offer advice or recommendations. Well, today I'm going to make an exception on that. Tim Cook, if you are listening, as much as I would like to see you stand up for the ownership rights of your company's personal property, I'm going to leave you with a song and age-old wisdom from John Mellencamp. And so until our next 